Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Onion Unlimited, the podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Torridon, and I'm joined today by the awesome Chris and Kyle from the Equally Awesome Two Tongues podcast. I'm going to be asking Chris and Kyle some difficult questions today. Is pornography wrong? How about homosexuality? What determines whether something is moral or not? Are people born transgender or is it a lifestyle choice? The following content may be triggering and listener discretion is advised. I've got all kinds of stuff I want to talk to you guys about today, if that's okay. Um, Oh, goody, yeah. So I've been listening to your podcast, episode 31, entitled OK Kuma. Kumas? (laughs) Kumas? <laughs> that one. <laughs> <laughs> that one, the one that you can't the one that you can't let your mum listen to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the one that I'm the one that I'm blushing about right now. I forgot to tell my mom not to listen to that one, by the yeah. way. So she did. Yeah, I'll put an I'll put an explicit on this uh, podcast. <laughs> um that's a new word to me. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's just because I've lived a sheltered life or not. But um, Kuma, I looked it up. <laughs> Apparently, it's a man. But I would imagine this applies to women as well. It's a man who masturbates excessively and watches <laughs> yep. too much pornography. Pretty much it. Yep. So I think that's every man from the age of thirteen <laughs> to 20, twenty something for sure. Yeah. If not much later. My question so, is: How much is too much and and what is excessive (laughs) Hmm. that's a good question Hmm. um i think when it becomes detrimental to you um then that's probably a good place to put that line um now i think that that line may be different for different people but yeah i think that that's that's a good place to start i am anymore i am becoming like i don't look down on people who watch porn or, mm-hmm. you know, but I do think that maybe I'm to the point where I think watching it at all is probably not good for you. Yeah. I mean, you can look into it. There are scientific studies that that will tell you that it has negative effects on your brain. It makes you depressed. It makes you lose focus. Uh, it actually shrinks the size of your brain if you watch a mm-hmm. lot of it. Um, so that that's where I am. But yeah, I think for most people, a good place to start is when it becomes detrimental to you in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Either mentally, physically, or, um, it could be, could be emotionally affecting, um, relationships. Yeah. And I've got experience with all of that stuff. So, um, yep. Yeah. This has been a real, a real life experiment for Kyle. Um, taking this seriously because it's something that you would, you would write off. There's a lot of things that you write off um, and you, you laugh off because secretly you don't want to stop. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. a lot of the pleasures, a lot of the, just the distracting pleasures, food pleasures and masturbation, all those sorts of things, it, even if they are a problem, people have a tendency to pretend as though they're, they aren't yeah. because we don't want to stop. It's fine. Mm-hmm. We don't want to, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. But the truth is it, there, there are, consequences and you don't know what they are until you do what Kyle's done until you experiment with it you cut you Mm -hmm. cut it off or or whatever and see what happens don't cut it off that's a bad idea (laughs) I don't cut it off no I was just thinking we're talking about yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I can I'll admit to something here um I, I sort of did this on the okay Coomer episode that 
I, I always thought about it as, as maintenance. And what I mean by that is, well, it's like a shit shower and shave situation. Mm-hmm. You know, you wake up, you wake up in the morning and there's certain things that you do. You know, if you're healthy, maybe you do sit-ups. If you're me, maybe you jerk off in the shower. <laughs> you know, you mm-hmm. have a, you have a light, you have a light breakfast, you know, you brush your teeth. Um, it, so I always thought about it as maintenance as just something that I was always doing, you know, on a pretty consistent basis to just maintain some kind of stasis in the way I feel. Yep. And I thought that I was rationalizing using that. Mm-hmm. And maybe I still, maybe I still am, but I'm, I'm going back and forth on that. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why as a married man, there are times where the frequency of sex is not, is not coming at you as, as mm-hmm. much as maybe you would like. And sometimes it's on her side and sometimes it's on your side or whatever, but mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm saying the blame go, there's enough blame to go around, but there are times where I'm, I'll be frustrated sexually sure. yeah. and I can solve that problem even temporarily, but just, you know, so, yep. so the, I'm struggling with that now because I'll tell you what happened. I've been running the experiment myself mm-hmm. and I find that I started to get more aggressive and less able to control my emotions. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, right. That's what I'm noticing. Less able to control your emotions. Yeah, like, like more a, prone to getting angry, yes. flying off the handle. Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I was talking to my my mom the other day, and I said something to her that upset her, and I felt really bad about that. And I couldn't resolve it on a phone call, so we hung up, and I felt terrible. Like guilt just, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I had to call her back after a few minutes and apologize and make things right because guilt just messes with me like nobody's business so you said the thing that you said out of frustration no but i I didn't approach it in the best of ways and then i realized that i just wondered if i wasn't frustrated if i would have acted the same way might might that maintenance idea actually have benefited me if if i just would have done it and not and not have carried that extra energy around with me all day Mm. i don't know what what do you think daniel so I've been um, in in the past. I've been quite involved in uh, medical things. Um, I used to be a first aid trainer, work as a uh, first responder. Um, so I spent quite a lot of time looking up about the human body, anatomy, the way that things work, and so on. When you talk to doctors or nurses or anyone kind of in the medical profession, not not so much pornography, but Certainly masturbation, for a guy at least, is medically considered healthy. Apparently, it reduces cancer or the risk of cancer. Prostate cancer specifically, if I understand correctly. That makes, I think, biological sense. Certainly sexual activity physically has is is healthy, isn't it? It burns calories. Endorphins in the brain, all that. Endorphins in the brain and so on. Again, I I would probably say with masturbation i don't think it's necessarily inherently unhealthy but i also think when you abstain from it 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 has some really positive effects and i'm not thinking so much mentally or emotionally um, or even physically here i'm thinking spiritually Mm. and i know that's a little bit of a tangent here but I honestly do think that uh, masturbation, and especially if you introduce pornography into the mix, is detrimental, spiritually speaking. I have a couple thoughts. I mean, I do think mm-hmm. that there's two things that come to mind. One of them has to do with a source of energy, you know. Mm-hmm. And, yes. I, and, and, you know, any mm-hmm. guy knows 
if you have a, I'm just going to use the, since I'm talking to an English fellow, I'm just going to use the British. When you have a wink, yep. <laughs> when you have a wink, that's funnier on this side of the, on this side of the uh, pond. That would be the title you know, you, of this episode. When you have a wink. Yeah. So, but you know, but you know that when you, when you do, you know, it, after, after you have an orgasm, you feel relaxed, you feel mm-hmm. lethargic a little bit, you feel at peace without, without the need to do anything. It takes away some kind of vital energy. And if you, you certainly couldn't if, go to war after doing that. hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. No way. No way you're not going to war after that. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that there's something to that. The idea that if you abstain from it, that you, that you maybe open up a reservoir of some uh-huh. kind of energy psychic yes. spiritual energy that can be that can be used yes um i think that's probably true another thing that comes to mind is the well you, you might call it spiritual warfare but what i mean to say is you have a struggle within yourself where you want to do it because it feels good and it's a habit mm-hmm. you have that ingrained in your in your mind and when you tell yourself no and you listen and you obey yourself you get this feeling of um mastery over yourself you get the ah, feeling yes. of uh and that there's something spiritual about that yes that you so, can control yourself yes mm. yeah that's where my mind goes in yeah i think that um not again like you said pornography aside just masturbation and orgasm i think that it has kind of a blunting effect in a lot of ways not just um yeah. mentally i i don't know i i kind of feel like I am maybe like a little bit slower mentally after it, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, just kind of lethargic. And that's not even to say physically tired, which is true. You know, you are physically tired a lot of the times afterwards. Uh, but yeah, I think it ha- does have all kinds of blunting effects. Uh, so, and I, I wouldn't say that that effect is the same when you actually have actual sexual intercourse with another Agreed. person. Um, especially mm-hmm. if that intercourse is in the kind of frame of uh, lovemaking, if it's a slow, yeah. gentle process of connection and communication and so forth. I'm not just talking about really a quick bang. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> no, I agree with that. Now, yeah, but that can actually question, be invigorating, I think, spiritually. So why, why do you think there's a difference there, though, Daniel? What would you point to? I've been thinking about this this last week, actually, and I've been talking about it with my girlfriend as well. And we both came to the same conclusion that lovemaking, and I'm not talking about sex now, I'm talking about the actual act of lovemaking, mm-hmm. is divine. Having sex, just the act of having sex, is very much something that all animals do. If you look at an animal having a hump <laughs> with another animal, yeah. You you don't see them after they've done the deed talking about the wonders of the universe or something, do you? Right, right. Generally um, no is, cuddling going on. It's more a case of it's like an itch that they have to scratch. Um, yeah. It's instinct and it goes a long way to keeping the uh, the species alive. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't, I don't think that sex, when it comes to humans... This is just my personal view, and I'm not judging anyone else that does sleep around or whatever, but I don't think that sex should be reduced to itching a scratch. 100% agree with you on that. I really, really don't. I think it's it's something that should be saved for the special 
person in your life. Yep. I have this weird, I don't know if this is true. I'll tell you what I, what I mean to say. I think that the divorce of the sacred component to the sex mm-hmm. act is, is worse in the United Kingdom than in the United States. I agree. I, I, yeah. Oh, you do? Okay, good. I, it is. There is a culture of just going out on an evening to a club or a pub and picking someone up for the night. Very right. much so. I, I, I'm, I've never heard this before. That's why I'm very curious because I, as far as I'm aware, that exists here too. Well, it, do, it does, but it just seems like, so I have, a, I like to watch some British TV. And so I'm basically pulling this, I'm pulling my impression of what it's like in the UK off mm. of a couple of shows. Even the difference between the British office and the American office, the, the, the dynamic between Pam and Jim and Tim and Dawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, even in the British office, it's it's way more like the, there's way more buildup in the American version. There's way more taboo surrounding how quickly you can jump into something like oh, that. Okay. Even even you know what I mean. Even on a one one night stand sort of basis. In the UK, it just seems like that's less tabooed. It's more. I don't know, man. Maybe I'm out of line, but that's just how it seems. Can I can I put something out there? Um, mm-hmm. It seems to me that America still has a good fair share of their, um, for want of a better term, fundamental Christians. Correct. We don't, and, and to be honest, Daniel, we don't tend I, I to have so, that here. That's the, I was surprised to hear you tell me that you were a Jehovah's Witness for three generations mm. because, I, because I tend to imagine fundamentalist Christianity to be largely a United States phenomenon. I I I, it's, I honestly was surprised to hear that there was three generations worth of Jehovah's Witnesses in the UK, like that 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 was even a thing. I I feel, and again, this is mostly from television and the the you know the uh, the uh, uh, impressions that you get. Hmm. But I it seems to me that the UK is a more secular culture than the United States, and we have a holdout from our Protestant um, past, from our. Um, from our pilgrim past, for lack, you know, for lack of a better word, that stays with us to this day, where, where there are taboos surrounding sex and infidelity and sex before marriage and all those sorts of things. It yes. just seems like it's taken more seriously here than it is in Europe. I, I think, totally agree. I think that they are, I guess, so one of the things that I really try to get into in this podcast, and it's just something that I'm very interested in in general, is cultural trends. Hmm. Um, and I think that maybe it's not that I disagree with you guys, because I definitely see what you're saying, but I do think that they're trying to kill that in America. They're trying to snuff that out. They want, they want, you know, they would prefer that America be more like Europe in that, uh, when I say they, you know, the people who control culture. Yeah. That's how I feel anyways. What we, what we tend to, what we tend to have here. There are still religious people, Church of England, you know, there's a few Catholics around. Mm-hmm. And I used to meet these people when I called from door to door as a Jehovah's Witness in the past. Um, I started to meet quite a few people that were were more non-denominational Christians. They would just say, well, I'm, I'm Christian, but I don't really follow anything. Um and that tended tends to be. I'm not saying that's a blanket across everything. There are, you know, really, really strong Christians with really strong views of what's moral and immoral. 
But generally speaking, even the religious people in the UK don't really get that kind of um, upset about things like homosexuality, abortion, mm-hmm. pornography. They, they, they just tend everything just sort of like, well, it is what it is, you know. Um, whereas I, I think in America, there's even kind of whole areas, aren't there, where if you were to walk in there and say, I'm a homosexual, you might be lucky to make it out alive. <laughs> the South in America is kind of that area uh, right. traditionally. Okay. Uh, but yeah, in 2022, I'm sure I know 100 percent there are definitely still people who are completely anti-homosexuality. And if you mm. come out like publicly, they're not going to be particularly friendly towards that but i think in general in america the trend is definitely more towards the accepting it's um, heading that way yeah 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 so, so daniel can i ask you the thing hmm. that you were saying about like your your rank and file non-denominational religious person in the uk yeah who, who would wouldn't um wouldn't take any sort of p- political stand against uh homosexuality or or you know something that you might think a conservative person would do you think that that is Related to the, um, there's basically two things. The, in, the the culture in Europe is more liberal, and I think that's what that's what Kyle is referring to. It, in in general, it's more liberal in a in a tra- traditional sense. You know, mm-hmm. pe- people mind their business. Pe- it's live and let live uh, to to a certain degree. And it, British people seem to be like that. Uh, uh, you know, it's like they mind your business. You know, it's like uh, you know, yeah. mind your business. So is it that? Is it the mind your business stuff? Oh, I, that, I that, think that that's partly religion? it. Religion and politics are the two subjects that Brits don't generally talk about. This is the wrong podcast for you, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, because if if you get started talking about religion or politics, you'll find that someone's got an, a, a, quite a strong opinion. And Brits in general don't like um, kind of confrontation. Mm, They'd much yeah. rather just kind of, you know, have a cup of tea together and, <laughs> you know, just see what we can agree on. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I think that's partly it. And I also think the other side of it is the religious side these days is more of a uh, just something they do for weddings and funerals. You know, they go mm. to church for weddings and funerals. Um, they'll celebrate Christmas, birthdays, Easter, that sort of thing. But there's not really a lot of religion behind it these days. Mm. You know, the the kind of uh, born-again Christian movement, Pentecostals and that sort of thing is mm. more the exception than the norm. Most people are either atheist or they just say, oh, I'm Church of England, you know, default. Yeah, right, right. So that yeah. So I've been reading a lot of uh, Carl Jung and his mm-hmm. students lately, lately, and I've been talking about it on the podcast. And one of the things that comes up is a lot of these myths, or a lot of these classical myths. And um, there's two that come to my mind that have to do with sacred sexuality. The first one is um, a creation myth from from ancient Babylon. It's the earliest creation story, the earliest myth that we have evidence of. It's called the Enuma Elish, and in that myth, the god that in the beginning is well, it's like this primordial egg, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of a better word. It's it's a, a combination of two deities that are together, Tiamat and uh, Apsu. And Tiamat is the goddess of the salt water, and Apsu is the god god of the fresh water. And they're one thing in the beginning. They're one thing. They're 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 opposites, right? Because one is female, one is male. 
One is salt water, one is fresh water. So they're these symbols of opposites, but they're united. They're opposites united, and that symbol is called the Ouroboros. And, and what happens is the gods are together. They're, they're unified into one. And so you have the masculine principle and the feminine principle together. And so what the image you should get in your head when, with a man and a woman together is something like sex. And so what happens when you join a man and a woman is a generative act. You have creation, right? And that's what happens in the myth, the creation of the cosmos. So you bring these, these two, the God and the goddess are one thing. They're in union and their union gives birth to the cosmos. So in that myth, the earliest myth we have, the creation of the universe is the result of divine sex. Mm-hmm. And then you have the same story that the ancient Greeks tell about the first man and woman, their, their Adam and Eve story. Yeah. And they, their Adam and Eve story is about hermaphrodite. It's about a being, a perfect being that has created both man and, and woman together. And the first mm. human beings like that, a man and a woman together. And then they get separated. And then they feel a longing for one another for the rest of their lives that they can only feel by rejoining together. And that's what marriage and sex is all about it's yeah perfection bringing the opposites together and having this creative act which is a mirror of the act of creation itself so such a beautiful such a beautiful thing you know the um adam and eve story in in the hebrew text mm-hmm. in uh, genesis the story goes that god put adam to sleep and performed an operation on him took the took one of his ribs and turned it into a into a woman and then brought the woman to the man and the man says at last this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh Mm. that expression bone of my bones in the hebrew text literally means self of myself i love it Ooh! so uh, this is self (laughs) of myself um it can also mean this is myself beside myself and it's where we get that expression being beside yourself you know when you're (laughs) feeling joyful you're beside yourself wow Um, that's that's good isn't it it's really good yeah i do think it's i do think it's um divine i've got a question for you on this um you guys were were you originally both religious? Did, did you belong to like a Christian religion, both of you? Yeah, I definitely was. Uh, well, I mean, Chris definitely was too, but my family was like deep in it. Um, okay. You know, I, I went to church every Sunday, church every Wednesday, church right. Sunday nights a lot of the time. I went to a Christian schools for, you know, Christian like actual education schools for a good part of my young life. Um, yeah, yeah. For sure. I mean, the, the, I used to do like Bible quizzing. and The yeah, reason I, I asked that it. is obviously I, I was raised very strict as well, religiously. And up until recently, I had a very simple way of knowing whether something was right or wrong. And that was if God said it was wrong, either in the Bible or if the organization I belong to said that God said it was wrong, then that was it. It was wrong. It didn't matter whether it was pleasurable. It was wrong. I couldn't do it. And if I did it, I'd feel guilty because I'm making God unhappy. 
So I'm just wondering with your kind of religious backgrounds, when you take things like um, pornography, masturbation, was that something that was presented to you as being morally wrong? Um, for me personally, it was definitely presented as something that was bad. Um, mm. Not Why? necessarily, it, well, the, not necessarily in a religious context, though. Um, I mean, I think that it definitely was presented to me as something that was bad in a religious context, but most of my like young influence when it comes to pornography and things like that has more to do with like I would get caught having porn or something and then I would be made to feel like a dirty little pervert basically. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, my, the, the shame that I have when it comes to that sort of thing has less to do with the religious influence in my life and more to do with like, you know, ba basically my mom getting pissed off that my dad was watching porn or, and you know, and then I would get caught with it. And then I'm a, you know, I'm a dirty little boy. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Just like your old man. Exactly. And but, on what basis, on what basis was it presented as wrong? I'm interested in this idea that certain things are good or bad. There seems to be, sure. you know, masturbation is, you know, from a, from a religious point of view, people will say masturbation is bad. Why? Why is it bad? I remember being told, you know, basically things, especially with like sex, not, ne mm -hmm. I, not necessarily masturbation, but I kind of in a way as well. And I'll get to that. But basically with sex is you want to save yourself for marriage, uh -huh. which yeah. oddly enough is something that I kind of agree with now. Yep, I mean, so do I. you know, in like, in it's weird, all the turns that my, you know, philosophical and religious opinions have taken. They've taken a, a, a lot of them. They sure have. Um, but so as far as masturbation and porn and stuff like that goes, uh, some of it is just like purity, you know, like purity of mind and heart and soul and stuff like that. Um, and I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, the religious tradition that I come from, I think that a lot of people say things and enforce rules and maxims that they don't even really understand why they're doing it. It's just, you know, someone told me this, so I'm telling you this, and this is just how we do it. Yeah. Um, mm. So I think that's a big part of it. But it makes sense that anything that becomes addictive and that is ruining your day is bad. Or anything that is upsetting someone that's close to you is bad, you know, for want of a better word. But is it necessarily immoral? You see, this this idea of pornography, is pornography immoral? What's your thoughts on that, Chris? Mm. Oh, boy. Well, listen, I'm the father of two girls now. And, uh, oh, God, that's a difficult question for me. Listen, so when Kyle and I were talking about this uh, on the OK Coomer episode, of the two tongues podcast what we what we i think agreed on and I, we're all very sheepish and in, in about this and to, to say it out loud is is hard but what what we agreed on is that there are certain habits that you form when you watch pornography and like to your point because it is addictive because it is releasing serotonin in your brain and you do want to chase that dragon just like you would if you were smoking crack or anything else uh or eating a delicious crispy cream donut you know, any of those things, you want to recreate those, those, uh, good feeling events. And what happens is you get, you, you have to continue upping the ante, right? So 
what happens is you're masturbating, you're watching porn. I'm, now we're talking explicitly about porn, and you get bored of the most beautiful women and the most, you know, um, titillating, you know, uh, um, situations imaginable. Anything, anything your heart desires, the menu is open for you. Mm-hmm. And what happens is you, you know, you get bored halfway through and you lose your erection. And listen, man, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but there's no, there's no surprise that in the US, everybody is obese. Everybody is unhealthy. It's a, it's a terrible epidemic here. And you've got 23-year-old kids, 25-year-old kids going to the doctor saying, I need a blue pill. I can't get my mm-hmm. dick hard. This is, the kind of thing, this is the kind of thing that is commonplace and it has never, ever been before. Now, some of that might be attributable to the lifestyle, uh, but, but I think a bigger part of that is Porn. The biggest part of that is no longer being able to be titillated by the by the most outrageous outrageous things any, yeah. anymore because you're accustomed to it. And then you try to translate your sexual habits that you're practicing way more in the shower than you are than you are in your bedroom, yeah. and, you, and, yeah. you, and you go to have sex with your wife or your girlfriend or what have you, right. and you're finding yourself you're finding yourself bored in the middle of the video, and you think you have a like a health problem. No, sir, you have a porn problem. So are you going from, see, when when you first mentioned, you know, the the kind of physical effects that watching porn maybe has on somebody, that in itself isn't about morality, is it? You know, taking crack at the end of the day is not especially a morality question. It's a question of whether it's good for you or not. And it's not, so yeah. don't do it. I don't it. know. What, but well, when, does it be- a, when does it become it, immoral to do well, it? I think that's the, that's the heart of the question. That's the heart of the question. Because what you said earlier was that your, your go-to, like the easiest solution for you in terms of what was moral in your past was what the Bible said or what the elders said. Mm. Then you, you, didn't, you didn't have to think about it, right? Because the answer was already right. there for you. So they removed your... your necessity to think for yourself which we talked about before with the with the witnesses um the question is if something that's good for you or bad for you is that the same thing as moral or immoral because maybe it is Mm, i don't know because you know take cake for example i really like cake yeah Yeah? cake is good (laughs) but cake is bad yes yeah Yes. If you have a family, okay, you have a family that depends on you. You've got you know, a mother right. and father who love you, a wife who loves you, children uh-huh. who are dependent on you, and you are eating cake until you have diabetes and you die right. when you're 45. Is that moral? Was it moral right. of you to exactly good? That yeah. Pleasure? Yeah. Yeah. That's I, brilliant. I don't so think, you're actually think. thinking, what effect is this now having? Not just on me. You know, mm-hmm. I can abuse my body as much as I want, and that's not necessarily immoral. But I do if think it then it is, start, though, like I think, but if it affects I, I somebody think, else, it is. I think that putting other people in the picture makes it clear. It's like, oh yeah, that's not good, you know. But I think that even if you take it out, I think that you do have mm. some kind of responsibility to yourself to be good to Excellent. yourself, to take yeah. care of yourself. Um, and I don't think see. I come from uh, like a political tradition where it's like 
you should let people do whatever they want as long as they're not hurting anyone else. And I am kind of, I'm kind of like coming out of that a little bit because I do mm. think that you do have some kind of responsibility to yourself. Uh, I do think that I love if you it. are hurting yourself, it's bad. You shouldn't be doing that. I love that because if you're hurting yourself, if you're abusing yourself, you are actually, if, if you take this idea that we're all one and that we're all interconnected in some way, you are actually hurting others at the same time, aren't you? How can you, yes. was it Jesus, wasn't it, that said, you know, you must love others as you love yourself? Yes. How can you love yes. other people if you abuse yourself? It's a great question. Mm. I like that. Uh, you know what I also think? Um, I think that the, pers that the perspective is important. Um, I think that it's different when we say good or bad or if we say good or evil. I think that we're talking slightly different, uh, mm -hmm. differently when we do that. But I kind of think that everything is, everything is both. You know, well, the cake example is, is a good one. Everything is both good and evil, and it, it, it all has to do with perspective. Um, and this is related to that conversation that we that we had, Daniel, way back when, I think maybe our first conversation, about trying to understand God as being all good, like most religious mm -hmm. people, especially Christians, try to do. If you say God is all good, you're missing half the picture. No, no, no. God yeah. is everything, all good and all evil. And, it, and, and it's, that is abrasive, even just hear that. But you have to understand that that's that that's the truth, or you're never going to get anywhere in an understanding of God. Yeah, and you have that same thing reflected in in what we call good and evil. Every every event, every action is both. You know, mm, so I, I, I think it's, I think it's more I think it's more complicated. You know, I think it's more. I don't know that there's a cookie cutter answer to that question. What is good or evil? Because people want to get relativistic yeah. they want to say what's good for me or what's evil yeah. for me what's good for know? me is not necessarily good for my neighbor <laughs> right it could right. be the worst thing going can i just dig into talking about god you you know i tend to avoid the use of the word god these days um i think to coin one of your phrases chris i've got a sophisticated idea of god now <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't think of God so much as a personage who thinks thoughts like us and is in, in judgment on a throne as to what we do. You know, this is right, that's wrong, porn's wrong, bad, 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 yeah. demanding worship. I tend to see that kind of scenario as very much a, a kind of religious package that is just trying to sort of get us to see that, you know, we're all falling from grace and we need saving and this particular religion is the one that will will do it for you. That That's kind of how I see God. I get this idea that to God, everything just is at the same time. So in terms of all the probabilities that are possible, God or source is just aware of everything in one go including good things and including bad things but he or it doesn't necessarily make choices that's down to us yeah to do what's your what's your thoughts on that or do you think that you know that god or source is the same as us just doing good or bad things that's interesting so i guess mm. where i where i go here I, I, you may have heard me say this before i said i say it a lot of time on the podcast i'll, I'll say we are the experience that God has had. Yeah. And what, what I mean by that uh, in this context is that you're right, that, that 
God, if with a capital G, you know, however we want to understand that, doesn't make decisions. We do. What I would mm-hmm. say is the decisions we make are the decisions of God. We are, we are, we are the instrument of action. So mm-hmm. our decisions are God decision, God's decisions. And what makes that so complicated and frustrating is that we're all making different decisions. We're all rationalizing things differently, analyzing things different, differently. We're all thinking differently. And so what we have is this infinite diversity of thought and opinion. And that is the thought and opinion of God, an infinite diversity, right? It's, it's all thought and all opinion all at once. Hmm. So I, I, I see us as, as the instrument of action. Um, we're, we're, we're the manifestation of God. We're the embodiment of God acting in the world. And all of our actions are the actions of God, both good and evil. I agree. <laughs> okay. You know, it's, it's funny because so, so That's few people. Profound, would just, but would I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I think that you and Chris have more confidence in these types of things. I, I mean, I definitely, I'm more or less on the same page with you. Uh, but I think that you and Chris, uh, particularly Chris, I know for a fact is more, um, you know, bought into this these types of ideas i'm a little bit more i guess skeptical but that's just my nature that's my nature about pretty much everything is i'm i'm a skeptical person um do you say you still um hold on to more of the traditional ideas of god and morality as it was presented to you as a christian for a long time i think that i disregarded that stuff way more than chris did Uh, I I considered myself an atheist, you know, I was, you know, kind of like a morally relativistic kind of a person. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the past few years, I have kind of given that up. You know, I do not consider myself an atheist anymore. I think it's pretty evident that there is a God, you know, again, I, 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 I'm more comfortable using the word God than I have been in a long time. But mm. I do understand how people get hung up on it, how it like uh, it trips some people up. Um, but uh, let's just say that I'm pretty confident that there is something, you know, yeah. wh- whether you want to say God or, you know, some kind of force or energy or whatever you want to say. I'm happy to say God, but uh, I- I'm pretty convinced that there is something. Uh, and oddly enough, in the last, I would say maybe year, maybe year and a half. I have been feeling kind of a pull like back towards actual religion, you know, like wanting to go to church, um, things like that. And a lot of it is because, because I do think that it is because of moralistic things in some way, uh, because in this kind of, um, you know, kind of new age, you know, I, I don't even know what to say. New age philosophy you know, it's kind of like everything's relativistic and whatever is, whatever you decide is good for you is good for you. And uh, I just don't know that I buy into that. Because mm-hmm. Like you were saying before with the cake, you know, like it's not good for you. And it's, there's really no argument that it's, it's good for you. If you are arguing that eating yourself into an early grave is good for you, you're stupid. And I don't have any respect for your <laughs> opinion. <laughs> um you know, so I actually do. I, I mean, if you get to decide what is moral and what is not, who are you? You know, like, right. um, and, mm. and these, these standards that have been set by religion, even though maybe you may not agree with all of them, they've been, 
you know, like battle tested for thousands of years, you know, uh, they've kept tribes of people alive and well and thriving for thousands of years. Um, so I don't know. I think that there is something to it. I am, like I said, much less opposed to it than I have been in the past. What do you think, Chris, there about, um, good and bad effectively being not something that we can decide for ourselves? Hmm. Is there an intrinsic standard? Well, so I, I, that's a good question. So I, I, my instinct is to pull away from the idea that morality is relative, um, but I have mixed feelings about it. Uh, mm. What I'm more curious about, Daniel, is what you think about what Kyle just said about, about growing up in this conservative religious environment, taking this staunch turn against it in a spirit of rebellion, becoming an atheist, and then in his uh, in his older year, older years, what would it be, 36, <laughs> beginning, beginning to feel the pull back to yeah. the same type of organized religion. I'm curious because I, because you seem like you're light years away from, from considering, you know, any sort of organized church. I, uh, you know. I am light years away from ever considering <laughs> any church. Yeah. I, I would actually like, and I mean this with greatest respect to religious people. I would like to see the end of religion as in mm. packaged organized religion where you join this group and because you belong to this group you believe this mm. i'd much rather see or advocate for spiritual autonomy um yes and sharing your views with each other and learning from each other but i yep. still think that i still think there's some things that intrinsically even if you take god out of the picture and you've got no bible or vicar telling you this is what god says is right or wrong there's some things that are clearly clearly wrong you know um exploitation abuse of children you know violence against innocent people you don't need to be religious or have a god telling you that that is wrong but then you get into these kind of areas where you know is homosexuality wrong you know is pornography yeah. wrong is this wrong is that wrong and it's it's not necessarily quite as black and white then some will say oh it's absolutely wrong homosexuality is not natural um if we were all homosexuals you know we'd die as a species yeah yeah <laughs> that kind of thing and then you'll get others say well that's intolerance you know who yep. is to say? I suppose that, well, Kyle, you said, you know, who are we to say? I suppose the question is, who who is to say what's right and wrong? It's a difficult question. one. Mm. So, so uh, let me give you, um, I, might, I might have done this before, but let me give you, um, Jordan Peterson has a take on morality mm. that I find pretty interesting. He says, he says something like this. I'll do my best here. He yep. says that... Um, he says that any decision that we make is a moral decision. And the reason is that we have to choose. So it's like mm -hmm. this. If I, if I wanted to choose something to eat for breakfast, I'll just use a mundane example. And I have the world of choices. You know, uh, I, live in the, I live in the United States of food. And my refrigerator is full. Right? I can go in and pick food from around the world. It, you know, uh, pineapples from, from South America and you know, peanut butter from you know, the Midwest and chocolate from, you know, wherever I, you know, I have all of that at my disposal. I have to choose something. And when cake. I choose, 
<laughs> when I choose the cake for breakfast, um, what I'm saying is the cake is better than all of the other choices I have at my disposal. I have selected the cake as the highest among my choices. That is a moral decision because I have decided it's better than the rest. Mm. Now, I know it's really hard. It's kind of hard to understand that because it's not a more, it's not a typical moral question, but any question like that, if I'm, if I'm in a, confronted in a situation where I have an opportunity to cheat on my wife and I have to decide, yes. do I, do I cheat on her or do I not? My choice is to say, if I cheat on her, I'm saying, this is the best, this is the best action. It's better than the alternative. So any choice you make is to select one thing among an infinite number of alternatives. So every decision we make is as a selection of what is good. And that is a moral decision. What do you think about that, Dan? You make a decision on something that is the highest principle of goodness. And then anything that falls short of that is not as good. Something that falls really short of it is particularly bad. So sure. I suppose things like um, cheating on your wife, you could include pornography in that. Even even things like uh, sex before marriage, um, all these sort of things that religion tries to address, they're yeah. all based on the idea that sex is divine, sacred, and should be enjoyed between a man and his wife. Mm. And then that, right. in a religious sense, makes those other things sinful. Whereas if you don't have that view, they're not sinful to you, are they? Mm. Yeah, it's, and you know what's strange about this thought experiment is that when we make a decision, all of us, that is a relativistic thing, right? Because I'm going to make a decision. That's not going to be the same rationale as you. You're going to make a different decision, let's say. So we're all, there's a, there's a way in which our moral choices are relative because we all have to make them individually. But then there's this also, there's this, mm -hmm. there's this um, cro crossover where like Daniel said um, we, earlier, he said, abusing children. Right. We, so why do we all agree that's, on that? That's interesting, right? Not mm. sure that we all do. I do. Everyone I think on this phone conversation does, but she's right. getting hairy out there. But see, that's, that's interesting because you have a relativistic morality. Everybody has their own, right? Everybody has their own. But then there's overlap, overlaps, and if there's overlap for everyone, then it's universal, right? Then it's a universal moral, and, right. and only uni only universal morals can you codify in a book and impose it on a culture like we do with, you know, with scripture. Mm -hmm. um, you couldn't do that with a relativistic morality. You could if we could hypothetically say that a universal morality would. Right. So if everybody or or even I'd even say go so far as to say the vast majority, because hmm. I, I think, Kyle, I don't know if we cut you off there. But so you will say child abuse is wrong. So will I. So will Chris. So will everyone I know, I think, will say child abuse is wrong. If you ask a child abuser. It depends. He might be someone yeah. who abuses children and thinks he's doing something wrong. Or he might be someone that's abusing children and doesn't have a conscience. Sure. At yeah. all. I think another, another gray area is, um, well, and this is kind of where I have an issue. This is one of the issues that I have with, like I was saying earlier, these new age moral relativistic mm -hmm. uh, theories is, and it lends itself to something that I have somewhat of a problem with. It's like postmodernism. 
um, these person, these people will say, well, what do you define as abuse? Uh, and that, you know, that I guess that can be a complicated question to answer. Like that, that child abuser, you can say you're abusing that child and he can say, no, I'm not. Um, and, and, and then it's just down to like the minting of words. Hmm. Um, I've got two examples that pop in my head. I want to ask you guys about first one is kind of silly, but let me tell you when I was a kid, my, my dad was a hunter hmm. and he would bring home deer and Turkey and he would put, he would hang them out in the backyard and gut them. And the kids were expected, at least the boys were expected to be okay with that, to be around, to be curious, to be asking questions, to be looking at it, to be touching it, you know, to be interested in it. And there's some people that would say how traumatic that you would, you would make your four-year-old son sit there while you gut a turkey and pull its insides out. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There, there's, that there's that example. And then, there, and then there's another one that comes in my mind, and this is a little bit hairier. And it's this, you know, 20, 30 years ago when, when we, we had this debate about Nike using children in sweatshops to make their shoes. Mm-hmm. And there was this yeah. big thing where we're, we're spending, you know, $200 on a pair of Air Jordans over here. Mm-hmm. And there's some, there's some child stitching that together in China, making pennies or something like that. This was the story that was told. And then you hear somebody like, like John Stossel, who I love, by the way, who, who says, yeah, sweatshops are wrong, according to us. Yeah. But, but if these children didn't have the job at the sweatshop making the 25 cents a day, they would be in the fields wake, working 10 hours a day, getting diseases and, uh, you know, living shorter lives and making no money. Yep. And their families would be starving. And eventually. Right. So the alternative, the sweatshop alternative is far better for that child. So these are hairy, hairy situations. What do you say about that, Ben? I think... um, (laughs) (laughs) I think (laughs) this is my podcast and I ask the questions. (laughs) (laughs) No. uh, (laughs) I think what you're talking about there is exploitation Mm. is the word that pops into my head there. You know, kids in sweatshops. That's exploitation. And I think everyone would agree that exploitation is wrong, but then it's just down to the majority to decide what classes as exploitation. Mm. So, you know, you tend to you tend to have local governments, don't you? Uh, country governments that will decide one thing. You know, in one country, something is viewed as illegal and immoral. In another country, it's fine. You know, in some countries, they eat dogs. In right. Britain, that's an horrendous idea. <laughs> yes, it is. You know? Yeah, the same with uh, children working or working long hours. This sort of thing. You know, in one country, it's okay. But then you've got these global or, or universal arrangements that come together, haven't you? Like United right. Nations, etc. And they decide as a majority what is considered to be exploitative. Do, do you? How do you feel about that democratic idea, Daniel? Do you think that the majority rules is the best we can do? Hmm. Because this is some, this is an interesting question, and we talk about it sometimes. Is that we hear growing up? There's a bit of an indo- indoctrination that happens in the United States. I assume probably in Great Britain too, that where democracy is heralded. It's talked about as the turning point of Western civilization, and it's the it's the cornerstone of all the representative democracies and republics that are the greatest governments the world's ever known. 
And this is what we hear, but majority rules is what a democracy is. And if you have, I mean, geez, just, just have a conversation with 50 strangers and then try to imagine the majority of those people. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And what do you do when the majority answer is something that you find morally repulsive? I mean, not, you know, everybody's mm. favorite boogeyman, Nazi Germany, they came to that through democratic that's just, means. That's what I'm just thinking here. Is he, is yeah. the democratic way forward, you know, and the rule of the majority, the, the best idea we've got? It probably is the best idea we've currently got. But the problem with it is, you, as an individual, you are then surrendering your autonomy right. to a degree. And you're, right. nobody, nobody in that system is going to be 100% free to do what they personally think is correct. Yes. You know? Yes, that's it. Um, it's not ideal, is it? It's not. It's not ideal, No. And I don't know, it's like the point Kyle makes about what if the majority's decision is something mm. that you personally believe is reprehensible. Yeah. Like, you know. Well, this this is what's it. happening with Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm. In, in the world as we know it today, homosexuality used to be not, not just religiously immoral. It was viewed as illegal. Mm. People in the UK were being hung for homosexuality up to quite recent times. I've got a list here of uh, executed people for homosexuality. Wow. And I've got, just trying to find United Kingdom. United Kingdom, 1835, the last two men to be hung for homosexuality in England, 1835. Wow. It's a brutal way to go, too. Whereas a lot of other countries... The idea of homosexuality being wrong kind of disappeared in the 1600s. But just to come back to Jehovah's Witnesses, the general kind of viewpoint these days is homosexuality is how you're born and nobody should disrespect you for that. And it it almost goes to the other extreme now where it's you can't actually voice an opinion against homosexuality. You just have to accept that, you know, it's it's okay and, and tolerate it. And I'm, I'm, I'm personally okay with that. But Jehovah's Witnesses have a terrible time with that because they, yeah. they honestly view homosexuality as more often than not a lifestyle choice. It's not something that a person's born with. Occasionally they say they are. But they say, if you love God enough, you won't be a homosexual. And if you want to live forever in paradise on earth, when all the bad people in the world are killed at Armageddon, you have to stop doing homosexual things, even if you're a homosexual. Mm. You can be a homosexual, but you mustn't act in homosexual ways. Otherwise, you're deserving of death. That's, that's the Jehovah's Witness viewpoint. Yeah. So they, they struggle terribly when there's, there's kind of legislation that says, you know, homosexuality is okay. And I used to be a wedding photographer, and I used to get homosexual couples ring me up when I was a Jehovah's Witness and say, will you photograph my wedding? And I couldn't. Oh, no. You'd I couldn't. Sued. You'd, have been, you'd have been sued in the United States, man. Right. Well, it was getting that way in the UK. I mean, I used to kind of say, um, actually, what I did, it was quite, it was quite clever, actually. Um, I actually had a photographer friend who was homosexual. <laughs> so we made a deal. I said, oh, I'll send you all the gay people. You send me all the straight people. But 
it's not right, is it? You, you know, I, I don't feel that's you. right now. You know, to turn a couple down because they're homosexuality, homosexual. No, I think that's wrong. I don't know. I, I naturally, it's just the way I am, and people who listen to this podcast know this. I tend to be a little bit contrarian. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Uh, so look, I don't hate gay people. No, I don't. Uh, you know, but I think that if. Somebody, you know, to, just to touch on something that actually happened here in our country, if a Christian family owns a bakery and they mm. hold homosexuality to be wrong, they should not be forced to do something that they find morally wrong. I just don't think that that's, you know, I've got a real problem with that. And when people say that they should be forced to do that or that they should lose their business because they chose to uphold something that they find to be you know what if the majority in the democracy say that to refuse service to a homosexual couple that is morally wrong that's discrimination it's intolerance etc does that then override the individual's feeling of morality I don't think so. Well, there's, well, there's a there's social pressure that acts exactly like that. There's social, mm. like you know, to your point, if the majority if the majority leans in one direction, there's a huge amount of social pressure on the outlier people to to conform. Um, but I and I think that's strange in and of itself. But it's a social phenomenon and not a spiritual phenomenon. I think mm. maybe because so, in the past religion was pretty much the government, wasn't it? It was yes. Mm-hmm. So. To go back to to, t- to tie this to something that we were talking about earlier mm. with the cake and the eating yourself into an <laughs> early grave, uh, if you think that for whatever reason, uh, you know, I think that if you think that one of the main purposes and drives of humanity is reproduction and you find value in having children and having a family, um, I don't think that it's necessarily bad of people to say maybe you shouldn't be gay you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like if you if you truly value family and and procreating you know be being fruitful and multiplying um i think that it logically follows to say maybe you shouldn't be gay um and i just think that um i don't think that you have to like hate it doesn't have to be a, a thing of I want to, you know, hang you or chemically castrate you or throw you off of a building. But I do think that maybe that's not good, you know. Um, and I don't. I think that people try to conflate those things. That just because I think that maybe you shouldn't do that means that I hate you or I want to kill you, which is nonsense. Um, well, if, if you think if you think homosexuality is wrong, then the answer is don't be a homosexual. Sure. That's it. But when it comes to someone else being a homosexual, as long as it's not deemed by the vast majority to be immoral or illegal or exploitative or whatever, that's up to them. But but what about when you get to like that situation with the cake where somebody says, if you don't bake this cake for this homosexual couple, we're going to sue you Mm. into (laughs) non-existence. I don't see. That's where I start to have a problem with these things. And also, yeah, yeah, we, we might put it this way. If, if your freedom infringes on my freedom, then we have a problem, right? If, right. If your, if your, if your freedom to, right. to, to be, to be homosexual infringes on my freedom to run a business the way I see fit, well, then there's a problem. 
Mm-hmm. So then the, the Christian way of looking at it would be for the two of you to sit down and seek the benefit of the other. And that's probably the best way. And, and to nobody will ever do that. your own wishes. <laughs> but I, I want to say something controversial here. I, I hate to do this, but, I want, but I'm going to. Go on. So cause one, of the, one of the things Kyle and I always say on this podcast is that you got to do the hard thing. People are so eager to take the easy route all the time. And mm. if they just did the hard thing, the world would be a better place. So let's go back to Kyle's example. We have a homosexual man, let's say. Yep. Um, and he values family values. He, ba- he values traditional family values, even Christian values. He values mm-hmm. the family and children and procreation and obeying God and all that sort of stuff. But he's homosexual. Imagine mm-hmm. that. Yep. You could say to that person, like you just did, Kyle, if you value you know, your religion and you value the family and having children, you should do what you don't want to do. You should do the hard thing and give up, sacrifice your, your uh, homosexual um, life in favor of a heterosexual one that you, that you, you know, that you dislike. Do the hard thing and you can have what you want. Sacrifice the right thing and you can have what you want. And what's strange about this is that you could say the same thing to somebody who's obese. You could say, do the hard thing and control your diet. Do the hard thing and exercise. We have no problem with that. But if you say to somebody who's homosexual, do, do the hard thing and, and not have that homosexual uh, interaction and you can have what you want. It's just a matter of the right sacrifice. Mm, which, is effectively, which is effectively what Jehovah's Witnesses' standpoint is. You can be homosexual, as in identify homosexually and be attracted to people of the same sex, but you don't do homosexual acts, not, so not it, if you want to be accepted by God. It would be such a detriment to somebody's like. Mm. There are so many expression so and many Jehovah's Witnesses have either been disfellowshipped, you know, excommunicated because they're homosexual, and you know they they engage in homosexual acts, or they've left because mentally it's just screwing their heads up that mm. they have to kind of live this heterosexual life when they're not heterosexual. There's even been ones that have ended up committing suicide because the pressure yeah. is just so great, you know, super, not being true to themselves. Mm. Right, right. I had, I mean, obviously, I don't think that anyone should commit suicide. That's terrible. Yeah. Um, I do have mixed feelings about that, though, because like my initial impulse when you say that somebody is excommunicated from their community for uh, something like that. My initial instinct is to be like, "That's not good." You know, That's you should uh, you yeah, should be tolerant. You should you should help them work through it. Um, is it you know, something and, you and can if, work? If, is it something you can work through though? If if you are homosexual, that's the question. It's not. You know, people sort of think or, or, or put this idea forward that it is a lifestyle choice. I chose to be homosexual, but a lot of homosexuals. And I have known a few will disagree with that. They'll say it's not a lifestyle choice any more than you. Like I personally feel attracted to women. Um, that wasn't a choice for you, Daniel, right? It's not, a, not choice. a choice for me. No, no. Yeah. I mean, may, maybe. See, I was listening to your uh, podcast the other day when you were saying about um, uh, transgender. I know that's a, a slightly different subject there, but the way that people become transgender because it's encouraged in in our society these days. You know, am I am I attracted to women because that is what was presented to me by my 
Jehovah's Witness parents growing up. If I if I'd have been brought up by two homosexuals, would I would I be homosexual? I don't know. I, I would say I no. Think, I think, think I would no. still be heterosexual because it's just intrinsically how I feel. I think um, practical evidence. You, you when you talk about homosexuality being a choice or it mm. being in you know born in you, I think practical evidence is that the vast vast majority of humans now and throughout history have not been gay um so you know obviously there are genetic variations you know not everyone is the same but they've never been able to tie homosexuality to any kind of gene thing they've been trying Mm. for you know a long time but they've never been able to i just and yet Again, these days, these days, I would say it almost seems like every other person is homosexual or transgender. I, or think, bi that or I think that that's how, that's how things are presented to you. But I think in your everyday life, does that seem true to you? It doesn't seem true to me. I mean, you know, when you watch um, TV. My personal experience is that quite a few people I know... <laughs> are homosexual or transgender or bisexual yeah i I mean i know three people that are transgender i've got at at least three people i would class as not necessarily friends but acquaintances that are homosexual i know how many people do you know i mean well not that many not that many these days (laughs) when i was a jehovah's witness i knew thousands of people (laughs) <laughs> and I hardly knew any homosexuals or bi people or transgender. Now I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. My social circle is much smaller, but I would say maybe a fifth of my social circle are not heterosexual. Yeah, and and tw- twenty years ago, twenty years ago, that would be that would be very different. And I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think like I, I have members of my own family that are that are young, like college age uh, yep. members of my own family that have no trouble whatsoever exploring the idea that they may be transsexual or that they may not be cisgendered as, as mm. they say nowadays, that they may, that they may fall into some other category. And those conversations were never had in the history of, of human beings they up until, You're right. you know, yeah. 20 years ago. So I think that there is a social component that makes it acceptable and desirable. I think people pretended to be gay um, during the, when, when Will and Grace first, I started airing on on TV and mm-hmm. and homose- homosexuality was suddenly a huge part of popular culture in the United States. People were pretending to be gay because it was cool. And people are pretending to be transgendered now because it's cool. You'll never change my mind on that. The majority of the people who say that they're transgender today, especially those that are college age, are pretending because they think it's cool, period. <laughs> I think uh, my cousin is doing it. He's pretending. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, my um, I've I've actually got a child that is uh, transgender. Wait, would would you say the same? Would you would you say that there's social pressure and that it's attra- socially attractive and that's the instinct, or do you think there's something else going on? She presents a very believable case for um, saying that she's had uh, body dysmorphia and never felt like a, a boy and, you know, born this way and kind of thing and gone gone the whole process of uh, medically changing her gender and also having operations to change her gender to a woman. Um, I didn't know that. Yep. She actually left Jehovah's Witnesses because 
she felt she was transgender. And of course, it would be frowned upon within the Jehovah's Witness organisation. So she chose to disassociate herself, which then, of course, came with being shunned by all of her friends and family. And I regret that. I really regret that on hindsight that I followed the religious route and shunned my child because, well, initially because he, at the time, left home and said he didn't want to be a Jehovah's Witness and then later said, I'm transgender, and I just continued the shunning. At the point where she said she was transgender, which was um, six months after she'd left the religion, she came and told us. I think that's the point where she needed support, a lot of support from her parents. Yeah. And we took the religious route and it was like, whoa, no, hands off, you know. Um, And you think, go ahead. Well, you're just asking whether or not it's born in or whether it's learned. I also have a feeling that he, at the time, was going through, he'd not long been at college, started college. It was the first time he was ever introduced to ideas outside of the religious circle because Mm. he'd been home educated by his um, Jehovah's Witness mum. And within a very short time of coming into contact with the college education system, he was questioning everything, and I mean everything. He went from a God believer to an evolutionist. He went from a Christian to an atheist. He went from a boy to a girl. And I don't know, I don't know how much of that was the environment that he was in. You know, you know when they say that children rebel? Oh yes. Hmm. Was that was that it, it might even be subconsciously a rebellion trying to sort of reinvent his entire life into something new. Now, I suspect if he ever or she now ever heard me say that, she would be highly offended by that. Um, that why? That, that's what you do in college. You, you, you step out on your own for the first time and you, and you, and you well, step the, out. The, the, idea, the idea that transgenderism is a life choice, I think she would be highly offended at that idea. Well, and you also, you also want to realize that, I don't know how, how old she is now, but her brain isn't fully developed until she's 28. Right. And having the, ab- yeah. having the ability to see the real impact, the real long-term permanent consequences of that, she's not capable of... of, of she's, and I don't mean this in any insulting way. No, I mean, her no, brain I, I is literally not done developing. She cannot understand fully what she's done. And somebody who does something irreversible, like long-term hormone treatment mm. or surgery that is my greatest fear as a parent i have two two young girls if this happens yeah. if this you know if this happens in in you know in their lives if if i am a supportive parent and i do and i go along with it and down the line they regret a decision like that that they can no longer fix i it's just absolutely can you imagine if imagine. they took that choice at the age of five or six because the society that they live in is telling them you've been born a girl but it's your choice yeah i mean i I think i think that is way too early to be introducing any ideas of bisexuality transgenderism homosexuality or even just sex in general there's a big cultural push for that now though like i know want to be able to do that kind of thing. Yeah. 
And that, in my mind, is almost like I was talking about earlier, practical evidence of the fact that it is a choice and they are pushing for this because they know it's a choice. And uh, they, they've decided that this is the moral thing uh, and we're going to push this agenda. Uh, and I, I just don't. It's I, I, certainly, I, I, think I certainly can agree that that is the case in some cases, not necessarily all, but I will agree that right. is the case in some, some I cases. think that if you take a different, I don't know, so uh, we'll just go with like the religious context since we've been talking mm -hmm. about it. Uh, you know, if you take a different sin, okay, alcoholism, yeah. and you go to a kindergarten class and you're like, it's fine to be an alcoholic. No big deal at all. Let's yeah. pour some, uh, let's pour some tequila shots for these five-year-olds. That is, I mean, I don't even have a bad enough word for how repulsive that is. Okay. Mm. It, that is ruining these children. That is setting them up to think about a thing that will destroy them, whether you think it's a sin or not. Uh, that is setting them up to follow a behavior that will destroy them later in life uh, and telling them that it's okay. It's good. If that's what you want, you should do it. If that's the would way you, put, you feel, you follow you, that road. Would you put sexuality on the same level as alcoholism or, um, say, harmful drugs or smoking or whatever? It, I would. So would sexual, sexuality, I don't know. Um, oh, okay. I, yeah. I, I'll tell you I'm more open to it than probably most like liberal people are. Uh, mm. But I was speaking more specifically about transgenderism having a five-year-old you know i'm comparing encouraging that's a five-year-old to, to be an alcoholic is it harmful to, to uh, a child of the age of say five to introduce them to the idea that their gender is a choice they can they yeah, can change it if so. they want to yeah i think it's probably not um beneficial but again more specifically what i mean is introducing them to alcohol and introducing them to like hormones and things like that putting a oh, five-year-old right. okay. on, on hormones that are going to change them forever for the rest of their lives yes right um, okay yes the physical side side effects of that yeah because it's not something that afterwards you can change <laughs> no you're you're you know done. especially if you've had the operation you know once that's gone oh, yeah so so daniel i i, I do think telling a five-year-old kid that he can choose um, his gender, I think that is harmful. Mm -hmm. okay. And I'll tell you why. It's, it's not as straightforward as you, you might imagine. I, I think it's the idea that you, that you introduce the idea of identity to a child at all. Mm. And I think, I think that's what this argument surrounds. A child is supposed to discover their identity. Uh -huh. It's so important. Yes. You go out and you play. You play with people, you meet people, you talk to them, you see who, who's different in what ways, what characteristics you like and don't like. None of that should ever have to do with sex or gender or a forced identity. You're supposed well, this is to why you, This is why you don't get too many kind of three-year-old racists. <laughs> exactly. And exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's funny because in this country, just, I mean, r racism has ramped up in the United States so bad, you can't believe it. And it's not from the direction you think I would imagine because what you hear on the, on the, on the news is that there's a bunch of rich white people that are, in, that are losing their grip on control of culture and society and are starting to well, act out and we're going to bring back lynchings and all this nonsense. 
and white supremacy is on is on everyone's lips like that's a thing it's not a thing man it's not a thing the the racism that's creeping in to our culture is a political game it's it was a choice that was made from our political parties to to keep us fighting with one another any way possible so that we avoid joining forces on any items that we actually care about and they made the deliberate choice to make it racism and it and it worked so well over the last 10 years that they're that they're ramping it up and ramping it up and ramping it up mm. i think you're kind of coming back to the idea i think we're all on the same page at least to some degree that when it comes to gender and what is considered moral immoral right wrong etc is to some degree the product of control, whether that's religious control, governmental control. We don't have the freedom at the moment to voice our opinion respectfully. If it dis if it differs from you know the masses, it's almost automatically viewed as you know you're homophobic or you're racist yeah. or you're yeah. you know you're transphobic or whatever. Um, no, that's exactly the right point that you just brought up. We yeah. no longer have the ability to to disagree respectfully. That Autonomy. is exactly it. I also think that when you build tension around these sort of things, you know, the baking the cake is one thing. If you say you have to bake the cake, that's one thing. It, it gets to the point where you've got more conservative people, more traditional type people. And the culture is saying you have to accept transgenderism to the point where if your child says, I feel transgender and you don't allow them to start taking hormones, we'll take your children away from you. Things are going to deteriorate quickly. A child would never, ever, ever, ever say to their parent, I think I'm transgendered unless somebody told them that transgender is a thing. And unless some adult told them about it, they would never, ever say that to their parent. They would instead say, I like, I'm a girl, but I like playing baseball. And that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Go play baseball. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have hormones. Go play baseball, climb a tree. Isn't that interesting? My, uh, my girlfriend and me were having this discussion the other day, and she was saying that when she was growing up, she, she basically would have liked to have been a boy. But she's completely heterosexual. She's got no no attraction to girls whatsoever. And I'm actually the the other way. I'm very much into I'm I'm very much a bloke bloke, you know, I'm attracted to women, mm. not at all attracted to guys, but I'm very much in touch with my feminine side to the point that pretty much all my friends over the years have been women. But we, we kinda have that we kinda have that in common. I'm mm. I, I'm a little bit on that. <laughs> on that side, when I was growing up in, in high school, all my I said that the, that the lunch table was all girls. All girls. <laughs> it was all girls. Yeah, yeah. I never used to have much success with the girls kind of finding me attractive or wanting to be, you know, my girlfriend because yep. they and, always um, used to think I was like just their mate. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no. They never are. All the do all the dudes who are hanging out with the girls and uh, the the girls think that they're just friends. Yeah. That guy does not want to be friends. He does not only want to be friends. <laughs> hey, 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 you guys, I, Kyle was talking about the little kid that walks up to their parents and says, I, I think I'm in the wrong body, that kind yep. of thing. Um, I think that a teacher or a parent <clears throat> that talks to a kid about those sorts of issues and uh, would put a kid in that position is comparable hmm. to what 
to what the Nazis did with the Hitler Youth, Ooh. where they where they brought all of the young children to camp from all over the German speaking world, and they all learned propaganda. They all learned how to be a good Nazi, and and it was traumatic and damaging to these kids. And I think that is on par with an adult who would who would instill in their child this idea of transgenderism and try to confuse them about their identity and and get them to consider something so ha- potentially harmful. Okay. So yeah. that's 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 what I wanted to say. So potentially it could be abusive. I think so. Okay. I, I think particularly, you know, I think that parents have some kind of autonomy in the way that they raise their children and formulate their family, the beliefs that they have. But when you send your kids to a school and you've got some random teacher who's filling your head, kid's head with these kind of ideas, hmm. that's a problem. Um, and that's what I meant earlier when I said that these kind of things, if these things are, these ideas are instituted and these more traditional and conservative people have no recourse, things are going to deteriorate quickly. In America, we like to act like Donald Trump was like literally Hitler. If things keep going this way where people are forcing traditional people, traditional and conservative-minded people to be okay with these sorts of ideas, we will get a swing far right in this country. That's right. I mean, it's coming, you know. If if this kind of stuff keeps going, it's inevitable. I think that that's obviously true.